seated. All right. Well, welcome to the after church. Oh, good. She was seated the whole time. I'm glad to hear that, babe. Thank you for the for the announcement. <laughs> so, um, I am in a great mood tonight, uh, and there's a, a number of reasons why. Um, we have a, a lot of, of reasons to celebrate God's goodness. In particular, this evening, um, I am just uh, absolutely overcome. Uh, you guys have heard me mention before my, my best friend, Matt. Uh, Matt and I have been best friends for a long time, since college. And he and his wife, Cassandra, have been on a nearly decade-long journey that finally came to fruition today. Um, about the same time that Allison was pregnant with Eli, Matt and Cassandra were also trying to conceive. And uh, over a process of years, that, that never happened. And so then they decided to pursue adoption. And I lost count of the number of times that an adoption fell through. Literally times when they were called to the hospital, a baby had been born, they were being told, you're going to adopt this baby, and then at the very last minute, they would have the rug pulled out from under them. And so I've watched as they have gone through so many gut-wrenching setbacks, and and I've gotten to see first time uh, or, or firsthand that adopting seems like it would be very simple, right? There's plenty of babies that need to be adopted, so not as many people who are trying to adopt. It, it seems like the math would just say, oh, adoption's easy. It's simple. But I've, I've gotten to watch as uh, they have experienced over and over and over and over and over again um, that not coming through. And so there was a situation about uh, a week ago where... Um, there was a young lady who was uh, offering her child for adoption. And so he called me up, or, or rather I called him, and uh, Cassandra had called my wife to, to tell her what was going on. Matt didn't call me about it, so I, I called him, and I'm like, dude, what's the deal? Why didn't you call me? Why, why didn't you tell me? And he's like, man, I, I'm, I, I can't hope. I've been through this too many times. So I wasn't even going to say anything because I know it's going to fall through. And I was like, you know what, dude, I'm going to hope for you. Sure enough, it fell through. And so another heartbreak and um, another setback. And so we just kept praying. Today, Matt calls me. Um, I'm upstairs. Allison and I are are trying to get things ready for the baby. And so we're we're up there, you know, moving furniture around and stuff. and, And Matt calls me. And he's like, so, um... I'm kind of freaking out uh, through a friend of a friend. You know, there's a, a friend that, that we have who's, who's a nurse at the hospital here. There's a girl here who's had a baby last night and wants to give up this baby for adoption. And we're hoping that she'll sign the paperwork for us to, to be able to adopt. Uh, it, it's, not, it's not final yet, but man, we could, we could have a baby by today. And so I'm like, dude, I am praying right now. I'm praying right now. So Allison and I stopped what we were doing. We both got on our knees and started fervently praying. And I had been on pins and needles, man, just, just absolutely pins and needles, waiting for this call, hoping, praying. Um, I could barely eat breakfast. I was so nervous. And, um, and so then I get a text message from Matt. And it's a, a picture of Cassandra holding this little girl. 
and uh, Matt's message said, meet our daughter. And so, like, I lost it. I mean, ugly crying. Like, I, I was just over the moon excited um, to see, again, a, a journey that's, that's taken almost a decade that uh, has now finally resulted in my friends adopting a, a little baby girl. So Matt, I know that you watch. Cassandra, I know that you watch. We are so thankful, so blessed. We're celebrating alongside with you. Um, we also have reason to celebrate in this very congregation, um, and it's also baby-related. Uh, and so we want to congratulate the Navarros on another Navarro on the way. Uh, Manny, uh, I can explain to you how this keeps happening if you want me to. Meet me afterwards um, so we can talk about the mechanics here. Uh, but we're celebrating the fact that the Navarros are, are looking towards number six. They are committed to growing this church, all right? <laughs> they are committed to growing this body one way or another. The most fun way possible, I think. Um, so we're looking forward to that. And like I said, um, we're going to have a baby dedication here pretty soon. We're going to have to have another one if you guys keep at it. Um, so... Again, there are so many reasons for us to celebrate the goodness of God uh, this evening. So here's where we're going. Next week, I, I talked about this a little bit before. Next week, I will be starting a six-week series called One God Under Nation. And this series is going to focus on what it means to be a follower of Christ and to be an American. Oftentimes, those two things get conflated. Uh, oftentimes, we equate being a Christian with being an American. And there are times when being an American supersedes being a Christian. We are in likely the most tumultuous political climate that, that any of us have ever seen. That political climate even grew more tumultuous this week uh, with the unfortunate passing of Justice Ginsburg, um, a warrior for, for women's rights, uh, accomplished many, many things. And now, if, if the political uh, climate wasn't uh, tumultuous enough, now we're throwing the Supreme Court into it all the more. And so I'm sure, as you guys have seen in conversations, as you've seen in your Facebook feeds, all over social media, uh, there's a lot of yelling and screaming. There's a lot of questions being asked. There's, there's a lot of examination of what does it mean for me to live out my faith in this. And so next week, uh, we'll start a six-week series leading up to the November election uh, called One God Under Nation. Um, so in preparation for that, uh, starting last week and, and continuing today, I want to begin to lay some foundation for that series. And uh, also just trying to unify us in, in some shared vision to generate excitement for what the Lord is doing in this church. He, he is doing work, y'all. He, he's, he's growing this church. If you look around the room, the, the church is growing. God is doing big things. Word is spreading. You know, people are starting to, to catch the mission. And speaking of that, our mission, somebody tell me our mission statement. Thank you. The mission starts after church. Yes, people are starting to get it. And, uh, and, and 
where we're going as a church, I feel like, is an exciting place. And, and you know, like I said, we're going to be doing a baby dedication soon. Uh, likely pretty soon we're going to be offering um, a membership meeting for, for welcoming new members. Um, and so I'm excited about where our church is headed. So let's, uh, let's dive in for tonight's message. Um, are there any of you who do your best thinking in the shower? That's where you get all your best ideas, where you do your deepest thinking. Um, how about those of us who do their most random, absolutely impractical, weird, it means nothing to real life thinking in the shower? That would be me. Okay, that's where the most random things come to my head. And so earlier this week, what came to my head was ants. Not because I saw an ant in the shower, thankfully, but I just started thinking randomly about ants because ants are cool, right? Uh, Nobody likes to get bit by an ant, obviously, but in ants, we see some incredible things demonstrated. So to start off, I'd like to do something for my son, for Eli. So Eli, I'm talking to you right now, dude. Eyes on me, man. (laughs) Pay attention. (laughs) I'm going to do something that my son loves. My son loves learning facts. He's got books of just hundreds of facts about random things. And so, Eli, why don't we start off this evening by learning some facts about ants, okay? Yes. Did you know ants can lift and carry more than 20 times their body weight? If that were possible with humans, if if humans could lift 20 times their body weight, Eli would be able to lift a car over his head. Imagine that, how cool that would be. Did you know that ants use chemicals to mark their trails, to communicate with their other colony mates, and to mark their territory? Did you know that, buddy? You did? Okay, cool. Very good. Someone must be homeschooling you very well. Did you know ants never live alone? They always live in colonies, and these colonies range in size from thousands to hundreds of millions. And they work together in some of the most organized units in all of planet Earth. I watched a video uh, this week of a group of ants creating a bridge. It, it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. There's a, there's a group of ants over here on a big leaf, and then there was ants over here on uh, on a branch, and so these two groups are separated, and, and it's about this wide, and so these ants start climbing up on top of each other and grabbing one another and holding each other's bodies and legs, and they start building towards each other until they meet in the middle, and then all the ants from this side start going over the bridge over to that side, and then slowly they disassemble the bridge, and the whole group of ants is now over there. I was like, that is amazing. That's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And one of the things that it reminded me of when I was watching it was uh, the movie Big Hero 6. Anybody seen that movie, Big Hero 6? Yes. So do I, babe. Thank you for that. Um, In this movie, Big Hero 6, I won't ruin it for you if you haven't seen it, uh, the hero in the movie, hero, uh, he builds this invention uh, called microbots. And these microbots are just 
small little robots, but there's thousands and thousands of them, and they're all controlled by this one control unit, and they gather up together like magnetically, and they start forming any shape that the control unit determines. Literally countless applications for these microbots, all able to do things working as a unit. One microbot by itself can't really do that much, but all the, the, the tens of thousands of them can solve so many problems. The next fact, Eli, did you know that ants can come together and form a super organism? And by that, I mean a hive mind. I did not know this until this week. All right? I learned this, and my mind, singularly, was blown. There was a research project where they attempted to show this. And so what they did was they, they got this big anthill, and then they threatened it. As, as simulated predators to see what the ants would do. And this particular species of ants, in responding to a threat, all joined together and the entire colony, whether, whether they were part of this group or not, was all doing the same thing at the same time. It, it was a hive mind. It, it was one uh, super organism all together. So they all joined their brains together. Like... That is cool. Um, Did you know, Eli, that fire ants in the Amazon rainforest link their legs together to form a raft to float down the river as they look for places to build a nest? Isn't that cool? I also learned, this is uh, something that I thought was very crazy, ants are the only other species besides humans to farm other species. So what I mean by that is, you know, we as humans will raise, you know, cattle and chickens and whatever for our food. Ants do the same thing. They raise species of insects small enough for them to eat and keep them in little farms for them to eat. That is so cool. All right, they are the only other farmers in, uh, in all of creation. Cool facts, right? Are you going to remember all those? All right, I'm going to test you on those later. When I, when I ask you what you learned in church today, I hope you have a lot of facts about ants. Now, I know that we didn't all gather here for a National Geographic TED Talk, right? We did not gather here to learn about ants. But, as I'm sure a number of you have already guessed, the reason why we're talking about ants has everything to do with community. See, humanity was designed for community, similarly to the way that ants were. We are not designed to go it alone, especially in the body of Christ. As believers, as Christians, we are not designed to pursue Christ as standalone individuals. We were designed to do this together. Now, this flies in the face of the national mindset, right? As Americans, we are incredibly individualistic. We view ourselves as being standalones who only require others when some need uh, comes forth. 
When some need arises, that's when I need somebody else. But for the most part, we are people who say, I'm going to do this on my own. But that is not what God had in mind for us. His design for us is that we would be a part of a colony. One might use the word kingdom. His design is that we serve the king, much like ants live solely to serve their queen. It is his life that gives our lives purpose. He's designed us all with different gifts. We have roles to play in the kingdom of God. Just like how in the ant colony, there are different ants who do different things, and they each do their jobs, and they need each other. It's the same way in the body of Christ. We are all gifted differently, and we need one another. None of us can fully serve Jesus alone, by ourselves. Together, we accomplish more for the kingdom We lift more as a team. And when we come together, we form a super organism. A super organism designed to change the world. So, I hope you have your thumbs ready. We are going to be all over scripture tonight. We're going to be a number of places. And each one of these places will be emphasizing community. Um, If you're one of those people that prefers not to win the sword drill, don't worry, the words will be behind me on the screen as well. But what I want to show you today is that there is a unified message throughout the entire Bible. Throughout the entire Bible, from start to finish, the unified message of Scripture teaches us that we are not called to serve God as disconnected individuals. We're called to serve the Lord as a unified community. We cannot be obedient to what God has commanded us or how he has designed us unless we're connected to the body. And we're serving him corporately. You cannot and you should not try to do it on your own. The church goes marching two by two. Hurrah. Hurrah. So let's start where every good story starts in the beginning. So... Genesis chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses 26 through 28. If you have been in this church a long time, you know that I go here more than anywhere else. So, here we go again. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, like ants. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So if you're taking notes, let's jump right in to point number one. We were created in the image of community. We were created in the image of community. Now, I understand that this is a point that I have made several times over the last several weeks. And over the last couple of months. So I won't spend a lot of time here belaboring this point again. 
I encourage you, if you've missed any of the, the, the previous messages in this series or, or prior to that, go back on our podcast, listen to them there, go back on our Facebook page uh, and, and watch the videos so you can see my pretty face and all the Notre Dame outfits I wear. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 tell us a lot about God's design. This, this passage tells us about his intention for everything. It teaches us about our purpose. It teaches us what we were created for and how we were created to be. What we were created to do. And thus it tells us a lot about who we are. And one of the, the important things that we learn from this passage is that who we are can be found in two words. There are two words in this passage in verse 26, and those are the words us and our. God says, let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image. This, of course, is referring to the Trinity, the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit communicating within himself. What we learn from this is that God did not need to create us. It was not as if God was in heaven lonely. It was not as if he was in in the heavenlies thinking to himself, man, I'm bored. I really need some idiots to hang out with. Let me create humans. That's not why he created us. He didn't need to create us in order to experience love. He didn't need anyone to worship him. He didn't need anyone to give him glory because he has all of that already within himself, within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this, like I've mentioned so many times before in the last couple of months, is one of the things that makes God entirely unique. It makes him entirely, completely different from any other idea of deity. This, this idea of him being triune, this, this truth that he is three persons in one, which is a divine mystery to say the least, trying to explain that, very, very difficult. But we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all working together in tandem, all co-equal in essence, yet distinct somehow in personhood. And that is what makes it so important. What makes God different is that he is in himself, community. We are just ourselves, but God is the very essence of relationship. This is why the Bible teaches us God is love. It's interesting that that verse doesn't just simply say God loves as an outward act. It says God is love. It's not just an action, it's an essence. It's not just something that he does, it's something that he is And there is no other concept of deity in all of the universe that is like that. Every other deity requires something else, someone else in order for there to be love. The Hindu god Krishna cannot love unless there is someone else to love. Allah cannot show himself powerful unless he has someone to show his power to. The multitude of gods in polytheistic religions all need one another and they are limited in their power. And the other gods that they're in relationship with create a community of gods that gets everything done. That makes every single one of those gods needy. It makes every single one of those gods lacking 
Because without the existence of others, without the existence of someone else, they lack the ability to express themselves fully. Everything that they need to do, everything that they're supposed to be, requires others. But the God of the Bible is not like that. He is within himself, in his, in his triune essence, able to give and receive love, to show affection, to serve and be served, to lead and to submit, to glorify himself. He's the only God that doesn't need anyone else. He's the only God that doesn't need anything else in order to be complete. The only God that fits that description. So, as it relates to us, it tells us that he didn't create us because he needed us. He didn't create us because he needed someone to worship him. He created us in order to reflect him. Look at what it says. It says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. That means that we are created to be reflections Of the God who created us, which in turn glorifies Him even more. So we're not created out of need, we're created out of abundance, out of an overflow of His love, as proof of His character and and desire to bring others into the community, like we talked about last week. We are created to reflect Him and to enjoy Him. Now, that that means a lot of things, but to zero in on one in particular, the nature of God means something for us. If God is love, if God is relationship, if God is community, and we are created in that image, we're created in that likeness, that means that we are literally created in the image of community. We are created in the image of relationship. And so it makes sense why we long for relationship and community so much. It makes sense that we desire love. It it makes sense that we desire connection because we're designed in the image of connection. We were never designed to go it alone as, as standalone individuals because none of us are God. We need. He doesn't. He is triune. He is plural and equal, but I'm not. So in order to reflect the God in whose image I'm created, I need others. I need others. We need each other. You cannot, you cannot obediently follow the directive here of creation, the the cultural mandate, like we talked about a few weeks ago, to go and fill the earth with the image of God by yourself. You cannot do it. For one, uh, we know that part of this is making babies. And ain't a one of y'all that can make a baby by yourself. We need each other in order to do that. But we need others for the mission that, that, that we've been given. We need relationship. We need shared love. We need intimacy in friendship. We need to serve others. We need to have others serve us. And that is what God has created here in the body. That's what he's created in the church. For us to reflect the nature and the character of God, the church goes marching two by two. Hurrah, hurrah. The church goes marching three by three. Hurrah, hurrah. 
we do not come here on Sundays just to simply sing songs and listen to preaching. You can do that at home, at the church of iTunes. What we come here for is something that iTunes cannot give you. Each other. The other people in the room. In real relationship. Not just waving at each other as we come in, but in real friendship, in real conversation, in real connection. We're committed to one another in that because that's what God has designed for us. Point number two. God's covenant. God's covenant with man was given to community. Now, we could take this just right out of the passage that we've already read. From the very beginning, what we see is that God has always desired to be in relationship with his creation. There was never a time and never will be when God separates himself from the people of the earth. So from the very first page of the Bible, what we find is God condescending himself to humanity. When he gave Adam and Eve this this command to go and fill the earth with his image, and he sends them out as his image bearers, he does that in order that every other person would see his image and themselves then be in relationship with the creator. So the mission of God from the very beginning was to fill the earth with image bearers who would be in relationship with him and with each other. But part of the ugliness of sin was that Adam and Eve are deceived into thinking they did not need to trust in God because they could be like God themselves. That they could be better off without any of the limitations that God was putting on them. They could establish their own divine image. And so they rejected God in order to accept their own idea. They reject God's image in favor of the image of themselves. And so this results in spiritual and physical death, brokenness, separation from God. So now every person who would come after them would have to live in a broken creation, to be born with a sinful heart that naturally only desires to serve its own image. But God did not give up on man. And so, from Genesis 3, we see him setting into motion a plan to atone for sin that would ultimately come to fruition in Jesus Christ himself. So, look here for a moment at Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. This verse comes right after God has handed down the curse. He's he's verbally told each of the, the various parties, Adam, Eve, and the serpent, what the punishment will be. And then, verse 21, he says, And the Lord God made for Adam and Eve garments of skin and clothed them. The Lord God made garments of skin and clothed them. Now, this was not simply an act of fashion. This was not God telling Adam and Eve, Hey, here's a good idea. Clothes. Boom. That's not what's happening in this passage. What's happening here is the beginning of the sacrificial system that is then explained later on throughout the rest of the Old Testament. But this is a precursor to what 
is coming later. What the Lord does is he literally covers their nakedness and their shame. Nakedness that up to that point they had tried to cover by their own efforts with fig leaves. They they came up with a pathetic way to try to cover themselves, but God covers them with the death of an animal. This is the first time that we see death in the scriptures. First time. This animal is put to death by God to atone for sin, to cover them. And so then God covers them literally and figuratively with that sacrifice. And then he sends them out of the garden to fulfill his original command, to fill the earth with image bearers. But now those image bearers are bearers that will naturally rebel. But again, God does not give up on them. He continues to condescend himself. He continues to covenant with them to be their rescuer. And so then we find in Genesis 6, God promises to save Noah and his family and to start the whole process all over again. And so then we find the flood and and we find Noah and his family being rescued and the reset of creation. And then we get to Genesis chapter 9. And look at what Genesis chapter 9 says in verses 1 through 7. It says, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hands they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat the flesh with its life, that is, the blood. And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply it. This is nearly a verse by verse repeating and reflection of the creation account. Almost word for word in places. He's issuing to Noah the very same command that he issued Adam. And just like he gave Adam dominion over the earth and the command to spread his image and the command not to eat something, this time instead of a tree, is blood. That's the difference here. And naturally that would lead us to ask, okay, why? And the reason is because, he says, the blood is symbolic of life and of the sacrifice that God instituted to atone for life. But then look at what God says in verses 8 and 9 to Noah and to his sons. He says, it says, then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. He establishes his covenant, not just with an individual, not just with Noah by himself. He establishes his covenant with community, with people together, just like he had done with Adam and Eve. Now, fast forward to chapters 15 through 17. In chapters 15 through 17, we know that God is setting up his covenant with Abram. Abram eventually becomes Abraham here. But as is the case with every other time in history, man has failed to remain faithful. 
And so God chooses Abram to be his instrument through whom the world is going to be blessed. And he has him set up in, in chapter 15, this covenant cutting ceremony. Uh, and, and if you want to hear a message on this specifically, I've preached an entire message on Genesis chapter 15. I encourage you to look that up. But he sets up this covenant care, uh, cutting ceremony, and then he goes through with it himself. God walks the blood path in order to save mankind. He enters the covenant. But then look at what it says in chapter 17, verse 7. It says this, And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. So again, here, God establishes the covenant, not with a person, not with an individual, but with a community. Now we move forward to Exodus. In Exodus, Israel has been rescued from Egypt. And here in this book, God establishes what is known as the Mosaic Covenant. In the Mosaic Covenant, we find the law. The law becomes the backbone of the Old Testament. And so the Israelites are gathered at the base of Mount Sinai. And Moses goes up to the top of Mount Sinai to meet with God as the covenant representative. And God gives Moses the Old Testament law. And he reestablishes the covenant. He re-ups again. Look at his wording in Exodus chapter 19. Verses 5 through 6. Exodus 19, 5 through 6. God says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you should speak to the people of Israel. God says, go back down the mountain and tell the people this. God establishes the the, the covenant with community. In a parallel passage uh, in Deuteronomy that's talking about the very same scene, God has this to say in Deuteronomy 14 verse 2, For you are a holy people to Yahweh your God, and God has chosen you to be his treasured people from all the nations that are on the face of the earth. So, again, God reestablishes what he started with Adam and Eve, then he started it over with Noah, and then he promised it to Abraham, and now he says it again to Moses and to Israel. My covenant, he says, is with a unified people. This theme continues throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, which leads us then to Jesus. Jesus, as we know, is the fulfillment of the old covenant. Jesus himself establishes the new covenant by his blood. He promises to lay down his life for his sheep. And so turn to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. In this passage, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. He establishes himself as the shepherd. And he says that the Jews up to this point have been led by very selfish shepherds. He's he's talking about the Pharisees, these Pharisees, these religious leaders who care nothing about the true spiritual well-being of the people. But he says, I am the good shepherd. I have come to sacrifice my life for my people in order to save them. 
And so then he takes that covenant that at that point was made with the Jewish people only. He takes that covenant and he opens it up to the rest of the world. Look at John chapter 10 verse 16. He says, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. One flock of everybody following one shepherd. And so now this covenant is open to everyone to enter the gate who is Jesus, to enter in to his sheepfold. My friends, that's, that's not Jesus saying, I'm going to be a personal savior to every single individual by themselves. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, I'm inviting everyone who desires freedom to come and be a part of my body. I, I'm inviting any person who desires life to join my body, us, Together, I am welcoming you to come up into community, like we talked about last week. Now, his disciples took what he taught, and they continued to teach it themselves. Peter says this in 1 Peter 2.9, speaking to the people, he says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And then finally, we get to the end of the Bible. John, at the end of the Bible, has a vision of heaven. And in this vision of heaven, it says that he sees people of every tribe, every tongue, every nation, declaring the praises of God as a unified choir. Thus, my friends, from the very beginning of the Bible, all through the middle and up to the very end, God's relationship with man has always been in community. It has always been with each other. It has always been with a body. We simply do not have biblical precedent for God calling someone to be in a completely individual, standalone relationship with Jesus. There is no place in the Bible that you can point to and go, you know what? All I need is me and Jesus. That's it. I don't need the church. I can just be fine believing in God on my own. I'm going to serve him over here. I don't need none of y'all. That is not how it works. From beginning to end, you are not called to serve Jesus on your own. In fact, you can't. You weren't designed to. You were designed to follow Jesus in community. The church goes marching two by two. Hurrah, hurrah. Point number three. The Great Commission was also given to community. I'm preaching, (laughs) y'all. Let's remember here how God establishes his covenant, reiterates his covenant, to Noah, to Abraham, to Moses, after first establishing it with with Adam and Eve. And and from the very beginning, God's desire is for us to follow him in a community, to, to bear his image and then spread that image across the world. When he gave that command to Adam and Eve, at that point, there was no obstacle. There was no obstacle to that. But because of their sin, after that, every image bearer was was born separated from God. 
So in order for the covenant to be fulfilled, there's a new step that wasn't required at the beginning with Adam and Eve, but now it's required in the new covenant. That step is evangelism. When God first established his covenant, there was no disconnect between God and man. That connection was completely understood. But after sin, with the reestablishment of the covenant, the other thing that now becomes required is communicating to people whose image they bear. Communicating to people about their sin. Communicating to people about God's plan to save them. Communicating to people their need to be in a covenant. To submit themselves to the God who ordained it. And so there are very few passages that uh, lay it out better than the passage we know as the Great Commission. So, turn now to Matthew chapter 28, looking at verses 16 through 20. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. This is just before the ascension into heaven. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. This, this is not in my notes. I, lo- I love that verse, okay? After everything, right? After everything that God has done, he's just come back from the dead, okay? He was dead for three days. And now he's risen. He's done so many miracles. Hundreds of people have seen him alive. He's about to float up into heaven. Some doubted. <laughs> I read that and I'm like, are you insane? Are you crazy? That's why whenever somebody is like, you know what, what I need is more evidence. If I just had more proof, if God showed up and did something amazing, then I would believe. That is not the case, all right? God showed up and he did a lot of amazing stuff. And people looked at that and they were like, you know, actually, I don't know about this. Let's be a little bit more humble is what I'm saying. (laughs) Anyway, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here Jesus is speaking with his disciples. These are the men that have been closest to him over the course of his ministry. He's trained them. He's taught them. Soon he's going to send them the Holy Spirit in order to equip them. And so now he sends them out to give the message of the new covenant to the world. And how does he tell them to do it? In community. As a unified group. As a family. This is one of the central reasons why the church exists. To be ambassadors of the new covenant together. Again, we we don't just come here for songs and learning. We come to be encouraged and equipped to live out the gospel every single day in each other's lives. We, We are the gospel ambassadors not only to the world but also to each other in here we're teaching one another what it means to follow Jesus. We're, we're committed to teaching each other to, to follow all that Christ commanded. 
And then we take that message from here and we take it out into the world. We, we talk about it here. We talk about the mission. But then the mission starts after church. The only way that that is going to happen is if the church goes marching two by two. Hurrah, hurrah. The church goes marching three by three, four by four, five by five. Point number four. The gifts to accomplish the mission can only be practiced in community. The gifts that we're given in order to accomplish this are given to a, a, a community. This is the last point, and, and, and I won't belabor it, like I said before, and you know, looking at the time, I, I can't spend too much on it unless you want to be here all night. But I want us to take a look at 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. Like I said, I'm all over the Bible tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, looking at verses 12 through 20. And I want to just establish here briefly that if we're going to live according to our design, if we're going to accomplish the mission, we got to do it together as a unit. 1 Corinthians 12, looking at verses 12 through 20, in a section called One Body, Many Members. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, although many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would, make it, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are, are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there, be, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, helping, administrating various kinds of tongues. Are, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are, are, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do they all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you still a more excellent way. What Paul teaches us here is we were designed to be parts, not standalone bodies. Every one of us is a part, not a body. As a physical human being, I have a body, okay? I have legs, I have arms, I have eyes, I have ears, I have a beautiful face. 
and a lovely beard. But as a spiritual person, as a follower of Jesus, I myself am not a full body following the Lord on my own. I am a body part. If you were to ask my wife which body part, she would say a big mouth. I am a big mouth. Okay? I cannot fulfill the great commission on my own. I need ears. I need legs. I need arms. I need hands. I need eyes. I need head and feet. I need a brain. Somebody, please, give me a brain. That's all of you. I need you. I need you. You need each other. You need me. God didn't just call me to this community, to Michiana, to Notre Dame. He called all of us together. And he's gifted every one of us specifically with gifts in order to accomplish that mission. That's why he established this church. That's why he's established so many other churches to carry out the mission as a body. To go Again, all the way back to creation of Adam and Eve and his first directive to them to fill the earth with its image. That's what we've been called to do. And it's going to take everything that we've got. Again, there are people who say, I can just be a Christian without the church. I don't need the church. I don't want the church. The church has hurt me. The church has X, Y, Z. I I just want to follow Jesus by myself. But scripture doesn't give us that opportunity. As a matter of fact, if we were to say that to God, we can't expect that God would accept that himself. The the church is referred to in scripture as the bride of Christ. We are his bride. He is the bridegroom. And let's be real. If you want to be friends with a guy, don't talk trash about his bride. Right? If any of y'all came to me and and you said, man, Sway, I want to be your friend. I like you. You are cool. Let's hang out. Let's be boys. The thing is, though, I can't stand your wife. Like, she sucks, okay? I don't want to have anything to do with her. I I just want us to be friends, okay? But when we're hanging out, just make sure your wife isn't there because I don't really like her. She's kind of mean. She's she's Italian, right? She's she's an upstate New Yorker, which means uh, as an Italian, the tomato sauce boils over sometimes, right? And, and, and I've seen that, and I, I don't want to be around it. And so it, when we hang out, just tell, tell, tell Allison to stay at home, will you? How do you think I would respond to that? I would go, oh, we're not friends. No, no, we're, we're not friends. You see, see, because I happen to love that upstate New York Italian. She is my other half. We come as a package deal. If you get me, you get her. She is the better half, actually. So we're not going to have a relationship if you're going to be dogging my wife. The same is true in Scripture. If the church is the body of Christ, you cannot say to Jesus, I want you, I can't stand your wife, though. Jesus is going to say, no, 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 no. If you want me, you will be joining the bride. You're going to be a part of that. You don't just get me by myself and throw her under the bus. That's not what we're called to. We're called to do this 
together, to be the community of Jesus. So being a part of the after church means being a part of essential community. It means that we are in this together. It means that we have to be there for one another. We, as it says here, if one member suffers, we suffer together. If one member is honored, we rejoice together. That's why I started out with that, that announcement at the beginning. We're rejoicing with Matt and Cassandra. We're rejoicing with the Navarros. It's going to have to mean that we are all totally devoted to the gospel. It, it's going to mean that we know that we're not in this as individuals. It, it means that we are dedicated to the mission of reaching the world with the love of Jesus, even if that means sacrificing ourselves in many ways. Rejoicing together, mourning together, holding each other accountable, lovingly being all up in each other's business. (laughs) It means giving our time, our talents, our treasures to the spread of the gospel. It means joining hands as a colony and, and creating a raft to float down the river, being more together than we are apart. Are you ready for that? The church goes marching two by two. Hurrah, hurrah. And the church goes marching two by two because that's what Jesus wants for you. And we all go marching down to the crown to get out of the pain. Boom, 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 boom. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Thank you for calling us to be together as one. God, God, I pray that we would be filled with a passion for the gospel, that we'd be filled with a desire to be unified in community, that, that, that we would be one, Lord, just as you asked, just as you prayed in the high priestly prayer, God, that we would be one, just as you and the Father are one. God, thank you so much for all the people that are gathered here this evening. Lord, thank you for the members of our church that are watching uh, online right now or the people listening uh, on the podcast. Lord, Lord, I pray that you would unite us together in that shared passion for Christ. But Lord, I pray especially for any people who have never experienced that love for themselves, people who, who, who have never submitted themselves to your lordship. Lord, I pray fervently, that you would call those people to yourself, that you would call them to repentance, that that your kindness would draw them to yourself, that they would lay their sin at the foot of the cross, that they would submit to you as master of their lives, that that they would allow you to take control, that they would say, I want to be a part of that community. I want to be a part of that family. I want to be a part of something so much bigger than myself. God, I pray that you would call them to that. Lord, I pray for anybody who who has been trying to do this on their own. God, I pray for anybody who's been trying to to be a standalone individual. Lord, I also pray for those who have been hurt by the church. God, I recognize the fact that the church doesn't always act like the church, and sometimes we can mess some people up. God, I pray for those people that have been hurt by, by a church body. Lord, I pray that you would show them that the gospel is not about fallen people it's about jesus and that their hope would rest in the savior not in his flawed servants but god i pray that we would be a church that that welcomes those hurting people in and and shows them your love in a healthy community 
God, thank you for what you're building here. I, I pray that you would continue to build it. Lord, that this snowball that's been packing would roll downhill, that, that so many more people in Michiana, so many more people in the Notre Dame campus and community would be reached with the gospel, that this church would be at the forefront of what your spirit is doing here and across the world. God, take us on a journey that only you can take us on. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand, we